here is a fun fact about me. I do not like birds. I have never liked birds. I don't think I will ever like birds. I'm actually afraid of them. I am told there was an incident when I was a toddler with me in a stroller and a big flock of geese chasing me and my mom around a park. After that, there were some scary moments with chickens. When I was in high school, I had a literal standoff with a turkey when I was walking home from the bus stop. So I am just not a bird girl. But I will make exceptions for penguins. They're cute and funny and seem friendly, and they live in cold climates where I am not likely to run into them and rack up any more bird-related incidents. So I am totally cool and not at all scared to talk about Mr. Popper's Penguins on episode 105. Mr. Popper's Penguins is a book for young readers and middle graders. It was written by Richard and Florence Atwater, published in 1938, and went on to win a Newbery Honor in 1939. As a reminder, this is a pretty big deal in the world of kidlet. Mr. Popper's Penguins tells the story of, you guessed it, Mr. Popper and the penguins who come into his life when he's on a break from his house painting business. Mr. Popper is a dreamer who has a special fascination with all things Arctic exploration. So when he gets a shout out on the radio from one of his heroes, explorer Admiral Drake, he's already pretty psyched. But then a penguin shows up at his door. The Popper family's life turns upside down to welcome this penguin, who Mr. Popper names Captain Cook, into their home. Soon, there are more penguins, and a hilarious penguin circus act that goes on the road, and, well, a lot of antics. Today's episode is all about Mr. Popper and his penguins. My guests and I talk about how relatable Mr. Popper's dreams of travel and exploration are for us as adults. There are a lot of things about him that are pretty universal, even today. We discuss our frustrations that Mrs. Popper has to be portrayed as an enemy of fun, whose primary personality trait is loves to clean. We wonder how this book would have been received more recently among animal lovers and have a broader conversation about cancel culture and how whimsy and reality are balanced in classics like this one. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Come on, you know I had to make that joke. I do want to apologize for a bit of street noise in this episode. This particular show was recorded during a period when I was really trying to figure out the best recording setup in our new house, and there's a bit of traffic in the background. I have since figured out the best way to record in this space, so there should only be one or two more shows where this is an issue. Don't worry, it's not going to get in the way of you enjoying it. My guest on episode 105 is Swathi Tirdala. Swathi is a storyteller at heart. After graduating from the University of Virginia with a BS in finance and a BA in history, she stumbled into the marketing side of the technology industry. She is passionate about many things, including how to make a proper cup of tea, the right ratio of curd to crust in a lemon tart, and diverse representation in the stories we tell. The Tiger at Midnight was her debut novel, and her latest book, The Archer at Dawn, is now available too. Swathi currently lives in New York City. You can visit her online at www.swathitirdala.com. Follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Swathi Tirdala. Don't forget to follow SSR on social media as well. We are at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find us on Facebook by searching The SSR Podcast. There's a smaller Facebook group too, and you should consider this your official invitation to join. We do a little extra book talking over there, and I share more behind-the-scenes insights and sneak peeks about the podcast. Search The SSR Podcast community to get involved. If you love the show and still haven't left a five-star rating or review, why not do it now? It really only takes a few seconds, and it goes a long way to help me grow SSR. You can also help the show grow by sharing this episode to your Instagram story, shopping for SSR swag at www.ssrpodcast.com shop, or joining the Patreon family. Patreon supporters contribute a few dollars every month to the production of the show in exchange for exclusive rewards like newsletters, merch, bonus episodes, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash ssrpodcast or go to www.ssrpodcast.com and click support at the top of the page for more details. If you are already supporting SSR on Patreon, please know how much I appreciate you. I have some big news to share with you this week, listeners. SSR is now officially part of the Frolic Podcast Network. The network is home to so many awesome shows, many of which have a fun bookish flavor. There are a lot of shows about love, romance, relationships, and even food. What does this news mean for you? Well, SSR is going to keep doing its thing, but I'll also be able to share more fantastic shows with you. Find new shows to add to your podcast subscriptions right now at frolic.media slash podcasts. And I am not going to kick off this episode without reminding you about the amazing work Libro.fm is doing. Libro.fm is a platform that allows you to support independent bookstores with the purchase of the same audiobooks that you can get from bigger companies. They're the same price, too. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter code SSRPOD when prompted on the site to get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. If you have audiobook recommendations, feel free to send them my way. 
Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is shit she read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hoff-Kosick, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Swathi. Welcome to SSR. Hi. Thanks for having me. We are recording on a Monday. I'm looking at your beautiful, very serene Skype background. There's mountains and a lake and trees, and I would like to be there. But since we can't be there, I'm pretty happy that we're starting the week talking about Mr. Popper's Penguins. Yep. I mean, it's one of those books that just kind of makes you happy, and I totally, I totally forgot about it. So happy. I can't remember if I read this. I would assume that I did just because it was like a pretty popular book. I think always it was published in 1938. So it's had many decades of popularity and of life. So I'd assume that I read it. But like you, like you just said, like I I didn't actively think about it all the time. It's not a book that I sort of had top of mind in my adult life. But within a few sentences of reading it, I just felt calm and happy and like back to my childhood and we're recording this on June 1st the world is in a bit of a mess more than a bit of a mess honestly and so reading this book was just like the brightest little light of reading in a very dark time so I appreciate you picking it for the show yeah well I um I was hoping that would be the case right I had a vague memory of the book I think I read it also when I was a child. And while I was obsessed with a number of books, this wasn't one of them. But I do remember it was the reason why I started becoming obsessed with penguins. Okay. Okay. They were my favorite animal for a while. And I'm I'm pretty sure this is the book. So I was like, why not reread it and capture, at least try and recapture some of that magic from childhood. I feel like we could all use a little bit of magic, a little bit of warmth and and like a a little bit of joy (laughs) right now. Yeah. I mean, hopefully when this episode drops at the end of July, things will look a little bit better. But honestly, I've said that on every recording I've done for the last two months. And as episodes come out, I continue to surprise myself with how unfortunately little has changed from week to week. Anyway, penguins are the cutest. I actually am afraid of the vast majority of birds, which many of my listeners will know by now, but there's just something magical about a penguin. And I too had like a penguin phase when I was a kid. I was really into polar bears when I was growing up. So that was sort of my like cold weather animal of choice. When we were in first grade, we had to do like an animal research project and you had to make a diorama. And I remember I made a polar bear diorama and I was very proud of it. But I think I maybe made like a little penguin, like a clay penguin off to the side. Yeah, I actually, I also love polar bears, but penguins, I don't know what it was. I think it was something, I think I saw this movie. I remember seeing a movie in like first grade or something. And to this day, I really struggle to find the movie again, but it was this animated movie with a penguin. And there was like, he was a boy penguin and he was trying to find this like jewel or something for his love or the girl that he has a crush on, the girl penguin he has a crush on. And I was like, oh, penguins are cool. And then I think that plus this book and everything. But yeah, polar bears are also, so, I mean, there's, they're so cute. They're too cute for being pretty vicious predators. Terrifying <laughs> animals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that movie sounds very cute. A penguin love story. Um, I always think about the animated scenes in Mary Poppins with the penguins. And when I was reading this book, I kept picturing those penguins and I, I didn't realize, or at least I hadn't like thought about in a while, the fact that there was a 2011 live action adaptation of Mr. Popper's Penguins featuring Jim Carrey as Mr. Popper. But I did discover in researching for this conversation that Disney had planned to make an animated version of this book um, in the earlier aughts. So I kind of wish that that had happened because that's how I was picturing these cute little guys while I was reading. So yeah, I mean, listeners, if you just need something to make you happy, this is a very quick read. And I'll say right now at the top of the show, it warmed my heart in all kinds of ways. And it's not just because of the cute penguins. Like it's a really simple, lovely story. And I'm so excited to be chatting about it with you today, Swathi. Yeah, same. I 
also really enjoy just rereading it. <laughs> it's a nice break from the other kinds of reading that are out there right now. So I'll set the stage. The book was written by Richard and Florence Atwater. It was published in 1938. It won a Newbery Honor in 1939. So this is a book that has some serious staying power. When it came out, it had um, generally great reviews, although surprisingly, Kirka's reviews kind of gave it a crappy review. Um, I found I found it all the way from 1938. They said, this is rather a silly story, and I don't believe children will think it particularly funny. A paper hanger and painter finds time on his hands in winter and spends it in reading of Arctic exploration. It all is given reality when he receives a present of a penguin, which makes its nest in the refrigerator on cubes of ice made to the lonely penguin from the zoo and produces a family of penguins, which helps set the poppers on their feet. That's the whole review. That's it. That's all they had to say. Yeah. And I guess even tougher in the thirties. I mean, I I thought I was waiting for them to be like raving about it. And I thought that was like pretty cold review. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually think children love whimsy. So it's, it's surprising to me also. I know. I feel like the reviewer was maybe having a bad day. That makes sense to me because I would have expected a fun review. Yeah. Right. You can't go wrong with something that's just kind of silly and whimsical and, and happy. But I, yeah, you know, different times. <laughs> Who knows? Different times. Um, so when we meet Mr. Popper, he is a house painter. He lives in a town called Stillwater, Minnesota, and he lives there with his wife and his two children. And when we meet him, he's out doing his house painting thing, painting houses, putting wallpaper up in houses. But we learn that sort of the extra special thing about him is that he is a dreamer. I pulled out this excerpt that I think really describes him and what he's passionate about. The book says, The reason Mr. Popper was so absent-minded was that he was always dreaming about faraway countries. He had never been out of Stillwater. Not that he was unhappy. He had a nice little house of his own, a wife whom he loved dearly, and two children named Janie and Bill. Still, it would have been nice, he often thought, if he could have seen something of the world before he met Mrs. Popper and settled down. He had never hunted tiger in India or climbed the peaks of the Himalayas or dived for pearls in the South Seas. Above all, he had never seen the poles. So that's his like chief interest and his chief passion in life. And I think right off the bat, that's something that so many kids, especially at a young age, can appeal to. Kids, I feel like, are born just with like an innate curiosity and so many kids for various reasons. It takes years, often until adulthood, to really get to explore and travel. And so I think this sort of like innate curiosity and wanderlust about Mr. Popper makes it very quick for kids to relate to him because I think it's worth noting that like this is not a book about a kid. Mr. Popper has children, but Janie and Belle are sort of like props throughout the book we don't really know that much about them so it's not as if there's a kid character in this book that young readers can latch on to so I think it's really fascinating the way that the authors have made an adult man Mr. Popper like just as relatable to kid readers as a child might be yeah I really agree with that I think there are aspects to Mr. Popper's personality that you could even say are childish but in a in a hopeful way, right? There's that kind of eye to the future of what could be that I think children and I mean, even adults really are always looking for. And um, that eye for adventure. I think everyone can relate to that no matter what age you are. And it's actually in my reread, what I noticed is as an adult, he really spoke to me too, because there's, there was a bit of another layer. Yeah. You know, like when, as you get older, there's a lot more things that you kind of think about that you wish you had done. Even adults can relate to that. Even as a kid, it's like, oh, I want to go see the the North Pole or the South Pole or adventure everywhere. There's There was two layers of reading his kind of introduction where I was like, oh, I get it. Yeah. I really relate to him. Well, because the vast majority of us, I think, you know, unless you're lucky enough to just really have no cares in the world and to just be able to travel someday. I mean, I know we're not traveling right now as you and I are talking, but there are people, I guess, who can travel and sort of chase their dreams full time. But the vast majority of people... You know, even if you've had a chance to do some traveling and fulfill some of your dreams, you're still having to, at some point, come back to some level of responsibility. Um, and certain dreams are always going to be put on the back burner. So I think, to different degrees, pretty much anyone can relate to Mr. Popper. And I think, you know, we got we find out later in the book that there are some financial restraints and some sort of like practical stresses that the Poppers are dealing with day in and day out, which I think is also very relatable. But even if you don't have those limitations, like you still can't see every part of the world that you want to see. So I think that in that way, that waters sort of spoke to like a universal truth about human nature. And it's nice to be reminded that like we all kind of have that within us because 
I love to travel again, like when traveling is safe and allowed, but it's not something that I feel like I'm able to think about in my day-to-day life because I'm just like trying to meet all of my responsibilities. And so it's nice to be reminded that like this is something that lives inside all of us and that's totally okay. It's actually really great. Yeah, I agree with that. I think there's something to be said about small dreams Mm. that we all have inside of our hearts. And a great story is one that helps you see that other people feel the same way and to it provides that resonance that you're not alone, right? Humanity has a, a spark of adventure and a, and a desire to see what's out there and to dream big. And it's funny, but I really think that they, the, the authors, the Atwaters, they capture that perfectly with Mr. Popper. And I, I really appreciated that. It feels very different reading reading it now compared to a ch- like being a child. But even I think a couple of years ago, right? Like it just reminds you that there's some resilience and and a spark of hope that we all have. Right. And I think at this moment when travel really isn't an option, we're all landlocked and just kind of trying to keep ourselves safe and do right by humanity, really. It's nice to be reminded that like someday, hopefully we'll all be able to live out some of those small dreams again. And it's okay to have those small dreams burning within you. And I love what you just said. And I hadn't really thought about the fact that this is a kid's book with an adult protagonist before, but now that we've started talking about it, it's interesting to think about like reading a book with an adult protagonist as a kid versus reading a book with an adult protagonist as an adult. I think when I read this book as a kid, or when I read another book with a similar adult protagonist as a kid, for some reason, like I didn't really think about them as grown-ups because like you said, they sort of have like these childlike qualities. And I'm sure that's strategic on the part of the authors. But then again, when I was reading it as an adult this time around, I also wasn't like, oh, I can relate to Mr. Popper as an adult because he doesn't really have any specific adult-like qualities either. So I think they've done a really good job in making him sort of neutral enough that you can map yourself onto him at any age. And there's something... Mr. Popper-esque in all of us, no matter how old we are, or where we come from, or how many travel experiences we've had thus far in life. Yeah, it's interesting. It reminds me of how Pixar makes movies in mm, some ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the protagonist of a Pixar film is, I think, always uh, a kid. Okay, maybe not always a kid. I'm thinking about Inside Out now. Oh, that I, one's so good. I love that so movie. Good. I'm also not sure what ages the emotions are. <laughs> But timeless. They're timeless. timeless. <laughs> exactly. But I, I guess, well, I guess what I'm trying to say is that Pixar does a good job of that same thing, like having that quality that's relatable to everyone of all ages. And maybe that's what makes a good story for for children, where it's not well a good story for children that has layers, right? It's not just oh, you know, a kid going on an adventure with very specific kind of problems or obstacles to overcome that are related to being that age as much as just the the general human condition, right? I think everyone can relate to that. It's interesting because it, I um, reading it, I really kind of felt like, oh, this is this is pre-Pixar. This is the, you know, the early 1900s way of, of conveying that feeling. This would have been a great Pixar movie now that you say that. Yes. Oh my God. Penguins and Pixar. I would... I would die for that. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That sounds amazing. Okay, I'm calling for that. If somebody could make that happen, if you're listening, anybody who's associated with Pixar, I'm sure the Jim Carrey adaptation was great, but we want Pixar of Mr. Popper's Penguins. The other thing that I thought was really interesting kind of timely about this is that when we meet Mr. Popper, he's kind of wrapping up his busy season. So his expectation is that now that summer's ending, his clients really aren't going to need him, which is something that I feel like isn't really a thing now. Like I've never known a house painter or like a decorator to not work seasonally but maybe that was more of a of a thing in the 30s when the book was written and when the book is set so he's anticipating that he's really going to be spending a lot of time at home and there's not going to be a lot of money coming in and I I couldn't help but laugh when he and his wife who we only know as Mrs. Popper of course um, (laughs) were chatting about some of these changes that were going to be happening in their family because I think it mirrors what a lot of people in the real world are dealing with now unfortunately as a result of COVID-19, there are a lot of people being laid off or furloughed. And so there's a lot of families that are experiencing these kinds of worries about practical things like whether or not they'll be able to pay their bills or pay their rent. Um, But even beyond that, 
even those who haven't been laid off, unless you're an essential worker, you're at home working remotely, experiencing these very close quarters with your family and your loved ones and your significant other and managing like all of that time together and figuring out like if the division of labor and sort of domestic kinds of tasks stays the same, trying to stay out of each other's way a little bit, like just navigating all of those things. And I sort of feel like that's what was happening with the poppers throughout a lot of this book. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that was really, there was a moment while reading it that I could really kind of see the parallels to what a lot of people are going through now. And I guess kind of in general, kind of uncertainty is definitely very keenly felt when you're older, but kids feel it too, for sure. And just in a different way. That was actually one moment when I was reading that I was like, Oh, Mr. Popper, come on, you got to figure this out. You can't leave him hanging. And I was like, that's such a different reaction now as you know, as an adult than I would have had as a kid. As a kid, I would have been like, ah, penguins. That's amazing. Right. You don't Play really with those penguins. That. You don't yeah. need a job. <laughs> and so I actually, I had forgotten totally the story, really. I just knew it was Mr. Popper and he had penguins. But I love the turn it kind of took later, which, you know, I guess we'll get to. Yes. Um, I, in this reread, I actually felt some anxiety. I was like, Mr. Popper, you're spending all their money. What are you doing? I related to Mrs. Popper in a way that that I don't remember, you know, as a kid, I definitely didn't. Uh, but now I'm like, I get it. Come on. You gotta, you gotta have your, you gotta figure out what you're doing. <laughs> so it was funny. It was like balancing that, that whimsy and also being like a little terrified for their family. <laughs> no, totally. I, I absolutely felt the same way. And I went back and forth with Mrs. Popper. Like there are moments when I just, I wanted her to like enjoy what was happening. Um, and I sort of feel like the authors maybe did a disservice to Mrs. Popper because we didn't learn that much about her except for the fact that like she likes to keep a clean house. And I kind of felt like her personality was just like cleaning. And that's not fair to her. I mean, and I say this not to sort of like neg on people who enjoy keeping their houses clean or who enjoy cleaning. I'm one of those people. I just felt like I wanted more for her and more from her because it's clear that she and Mr. Popper have sort of like a really interesting relationship. And I like, I don't know, I I wanted to know more facets of her interests and like what kind of person she is. Because really all that we got from her for the most part was like her nagging Mr. Popper about like, okay, now that you're going to be home more, I really need you not to make a mess. Or like, are these penguins cleaner? Are they dirty? Like I felt like she was making a lot of decisions about how she felt about like any of the situations happening in the book based on how clean her house was and that's not her fault that's the author's fault love you guys you want a newberry honor but I think in 2020 we would probably look for a female character to just be like a little bit more nuanced or any character really like cleaning is not a personality type yes and I do think that there it's pretty clear that she is kind of the obstacle and also the the non-obstacle or like the, the helping factor whenever she needs to be. She's really just whatever the story needs or whatever Mr. Popper needs to get to his next kind of fun adventure. Yeah. So, you know, when he when she's a bit of an obstacle, then it's like, oh, no, he has to figure out a way to solve like, how to get around this. And then later on, when she's helpful, I was kind of like, it didn't quite make sense that her... <laughs> Her feelings had changed so drastically. But at the same time, you know, I'm here for the ride. <laughs> Always here for the ride. I just, yeah. I didn't want her to have to be the fun police all the time because that seemed like yeah. an unfair position. So one of the first sweet moments of this book, of which there are many, I thought at least, was when Mr. Popper is tuning into the radio show after he's like come home and he's wrapping his head around the fact that he's not going to be working much until the spring or summer. He's like settling into this new routine where he's just going to like read about explorations full-time. That's his new job. He tunes into this radio show and Admiral Drake, who is this like world-famous explorer um, who spent a lot of time in the Arctic, gets on the radio show and he says, hello, Mr. Popper up there in Stillwater. Thanks for your nice letter about the pictures of our last expedition. Watch for an answer, but not by letter, Mr. Popper. Watch for a surprise. And it was just so sweet in the way the authors described this moment because it was so clear that Mr. Popper felt really special and seen because he had sent a letter to Admiral Drake, remember letters, and 
Admiral Drake is shouting him out on the radio. And again, like, I think we have to have an appreciation for the fact that there was no other media. Like, this is this was all of the entertainment that they had. And it's not as if this particular episode of the show was going to be played again. Like, you couldn't go stream it online. It was sort of by accident, even, that Mr. Popper was tuning into the show at the right moments so that he could hear this shout out from Admiral Drake. And he felt so, like, acknowledged and respected and loved. And I think that was the first moment where I realized that, like, maybe Mr. Popper doesn't like feeling like he's so average. Like, maybe in his normal life, he doesn't feel special or appreciated. It was just really sweet the way he kind of, like, took that moment in. Yeah, I um, I was thinking about that and how how happy it would really make anyone feel to be shouted out by someone that you really admire, right? Now it, it could be something as simple as a retweet, yeah. right? People go crazy over like, you know, if, if a celebrity retweets or starts following you or something that, you know, you definitely get excited. It's that little rush mm. uh, where you, you feel seen and you feel like you could potentially have a relationship with this person that you really admire, even if it's just for a few moments. And I do love that the radio, kind of the shout out on the radio, it's so much more personal, right? And it's funny how how nowadays we have more connection to people we admire, celebrities, or we have more, uh, I guess, opportunity to connect, but the connection is less kind of strong. Whereas that radio call out, he knew Mr. Popper. He was directly talking to somebody, right? And that is... That was also nice to just kind of see and experience in the story because you don't get to have those kinds of moments as much anymore. And it must have been so fun, not just fun, but so kind of reassuring, like you kind of said, for Mr. Popper. I love that parallel that you're drawing between like a retweet and this kind of a moment, but also the acknowledgement that it's different. It's a much different experience because retweeting someone or even following somebody on Instagram or really even like quickly responding to an email, it's it's a much more passive act than I think some of the things that had to happen in the 30s and in decades gone by just out of necessity. Like it was just, it took more effort to demonstrate to people that you like were reading their letters or caring about what they had to say to you. Um, And so it is nice to be reminded that those kinds of relationships maybe were more common before. And we can still make those relationships happen today. I think we just have to sort of step outside of our more normal like communication flows. But now, you know, maybe like Mr. Popper would get like a cameo from Admiral Drake. Like that would be his like dream for his birthday would be to get um, Admiral Drake to, to to film a cameo for him. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's really it's really fun to watch him take this in. And then, of course, he's waiting for the surprise. And a few days later, there's a, a penguin that actually shows up <laughs> in a box in the mail. And it's such an indication of the fact that I live in 2020 and that I analyze these kinds of books on my podcast because my first thought was like, I wonder if animal rights activists had a field day with this, either in the 30s when the book was written or in the year since, because it's hard for me to imagine now that this kind of a book would be published without any objections from PETA or other similar organizations. Because not only in this moment do we see a penguin showing up in like a literal crate with holes poked in the sides of it but also later on we have like Mr. Popper kind of like profiting off of the penguins and I'm not saying that I necessarily like am you know trying to put together this rally cry for animal rights activists to speak out against Mr. Popper's penguins but I do think that it's sort of a sign of the times that in my research about this book I didn't see one mention about animal rights activists objections because now if this book came out that's all that you would hear about. I actually was thinking that as I was reading it, it is this underlying discomfort, I would say, uh, where I definitely had that in the back of my mind. I had to kind of put it aside just a little bit. Otherwise, yeah, you know, a penguin arriving in a crate. My first thought was, you know, poor penguin. And even later on, you know, Mr. Popper does his best to keep them comfortable, but it was just a little, yeah, I, I had some thoughts that, you know, this would not necessarily fly. I think we also just there is that kind of reality behind it that this kind of stuff does happen sometimes, maybe not with penguins exactly, but I don't know if you saw Tiger King. (laughs) I watched the first like four episodes and then it was sort of exhausting me. I think I'll probably go back to it, but we also watched them like back to back to back and it just, it put me over the edge, but I know enough about it to sort of like have a conversation about it. Yeah, I totally get that. It was kind of a 
it was kind of emotionally taxing yeah. to watch. I mean, I wouldn't say just kind of, it, it really was. <laughs> but, you know, the first, even just seeing the first couple of episodes, I'm, I'm sure you understand kind of how, I think how harrowing it could possibly be. And, you know, of course, this is like a children's book. Right. You know, best intentions here, also written a different time. And everything is so kind of ridiculous and over the top that it feels less kind of squicky in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did have that like, very low level discomfort reading it. So I, I see what you mean on that. Yeah. I mean, it's not meant to be rooted in any reality that like we would sort of like recognize enough to be able to poke these kinds of like <laughs> practical, legal, ethical holes into. Um, I know that can be hard sometimes because we are living in a world and in a time when like our our natural instinct, I think, is to sort of like root out what could potentially be wrong with something. And that's something that, you know, listeners of the show know that I struggle with. Like it's it's important to sort of like just appreciate lovely children's books from decades and decades gone by for what they are without necessarily like even just I, I just I never want to stir up this idea of like canceling these books about things like that because like you said like we just have to set it aside um this is meant to be like a whimsical story and of course it was written with the best intentions it's just so funny to sort of like take a step back even from myself and like observe where my mind goes when things like this come up in books and I did think about Tiger King like in that moment when the penguin comes out of the Cree I was like oh you know like similar to to all of the characters in Tiger King as they get their different shipments in like my immediate thought was of those moments in the show so it's just funny like how our brains have sort of rewired over the years to take even like a whimsical book like this and try to like break it down into those kinds of questions and like stressors I think it it says a lot about how far I think we've come uh, we still have a, a lot more, yeah. <laughs> a lot more ways to go. But how far we've come as a society that we can have those positive and negative experiences in the same kind of breath or in that same that same kind of bubble. Uh, one thing I, I mean, one thing I was thinking about is you know this really is kind of a very ridiculous premise of a story. So you get that almost immediately as we start to dive into it. There's a there's a moment where they have they let the snow into the living room and they create an ice skating rink or an ice rink. And I mean, of course, that's impossible. And right. who would allow that to actually happen? So, you know, you balance that with just this kind of understanding that like, in the real world, this wouldn't be okay. And that's kind of, you have to keep that balance. And maybe it's, it, I think it's good that we're able to kind of see the negative and be able to speak about it without, without kind of letting it overtake the experience. Cause there's only so much we can do to go back in time and, and change how things were, or how they were written. But if we go forward with awareness that, you know, you can have the experience and, and be aware of what it means, like that's, that's all we can really ask for. Yeah, I think it's good to ask the questions. I think it's good to sort of be observant of the way that we frame things mentally now versus the way we did years ago. Um, but again, just like appreciate it for what it is. This is a really sweet, special book that has made a lot of people happy over the years. So I will just leave my little animal activism moment there and we'll just move on. So Mr. Popper now has a penguin. He is the proud <laughs> owner of a penguin and there were so many moments, you know, that followed that I loved. One of them is that he gets dressed up now that he has a penguin. He's going to go out with the penguin and he puts on his wedding suit to go out because he's so excited to have this penguin who he has named Captain Cook. And I, in this moment, like really felt for Mrs. Popper because at this point, like they've now reorganized the whole kitchen to accommodate a like refrigerator where Captain Cook can live. They're talking about like renovating said refrigerator so that Captain Cook can easily come inside and outside of it. There's just so many changes happening. And now her husband, who seems to like not really get dressed up much, he doesn't seem like especially interested in her. He's like just having a day with the penguin. And I think I probably would have been a little bit jealous of this penguin if I were Mrs. Popper. Oh, yeah. I would have been too. (laughs) The penguin kind of comes in and takes over their lives, really. And, you know, this is the first time, and we don't really get this in text, but this is the first time Mrs. Popper gets to really spend a lot of quality time with her husband after, you know, he's working all the time. This is his vacation. And, and she seems in text, she seems more annoyed by it than not. But I mean, in real life, you'd be a little bit excited to spend time with your husband. Right. And then this penguin comes along and you, you probably want to love the penguin, but you're also probably a little bit like, really? 
a bird. Is necessary? <laughs> she seemed to have really high hopes for this little break of his. Like they have a conversation where they're talking about how maybe other years his vacation hasn't gone so great. She sort of like scolds him for just sitting around making a mess. And they seem to be communicating about how that's not going to work. And like, you know, he talks to her about how he wants to spend his time. And she's very clear with him about how she hopes that he cleans up after himself. Like they seem to kind of be on the same page this year about how his break from work is going to go. And then all of a sudden this bird shows up and he has like a whole new agenda for how he's going to spend this time off. So I did think that was funny and like obviously not in this specific scenario relatable because none of us really have had a penguin show up at our front door. But I think that happens all too often. Like if you are in a partnership with someone, maybe you have high hopes for a vacation or for even just like a day that you're going to spend together. Um, Maybe you're both like taking a mental health day from work and you have big plans to spend it doing things together. It's rare in my experience that those days like go the way you expect them to because something inevitably shows up and just kind of like throws off how you had envisioned the day going. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a really great kind of analogy or, you know, I, (laughs) like you said, none of us are going to have penguins showing up at our door, but you can definitely relate to something throwing a wrench in your plans and something that's kind of really out of left field, right? Uh, I'm sure Mrs. Popper wasn't like, tomorrow a penguin is going to land on my doorstep and take away my refrigerator. (laughs) I also thought it was really funny how um, it's like they have this choice between buying the beans, right? And And then, you know, making the kind of home palatable for a penguin. And there was a moment where he chooses the penguin over the beans and the beans equal his, you know, children. Right. Right. And I was like, oh, okay. I'm not sure where this story is going to go because they're going to need those beans. And it was just, it was kind of funny. I loved how the book also took these kind of concepts that you can kind of, they touch upon these concepts where there are moments where you really relate to it. You're like, okay, I understand what that's going to probably be a huge problem, but then it just kind of glosses over it and shifts over it. And and it takes you on this journey that makes you kind of leave that behind because pretty soon I forgot about the beans. But in that moment, I was like, the beans. The beans are so <laughs> important. Well, and it's a different experience reading it as an adult, too. Because as a kid, I'd be like, oh, beans? Like, who cares? Penguins are way cooler than beans. And, you know, granted, I I would be remiss to leave out the fact that as a kid, I was not somebody who worried about whether or not I was going to have food on the table. And I would imagine that kids who have had that experience reading this book would probably not take those beans so lightly. I, in my experience, like was very interested in the penguins and less so in the beans. As an adult, I'm like, get the beans. Make sure you have the beans. If there are plenty of beans, you can have as many penguins as you want. But it's so funny because it takes, it's a little harder as an adult to like suspend that disbelief and just be like, oh no, it's going to be fine because this is a children's book. They're going to get the penguins and then they'll, they'll be fine. But it's just, it's funny, like the things that you latch onto at different parts in your life, it just changes. 100%. 100%. I I would not. I would have thought about the beans as a kid because I was a bit of a worry wart. Mm. So everything would make me worry. It wouldn't necessarily be the beans. I'd be like, okay, the refrigerator. What about the food? Where Where's all the food going to go? <laughs> you know, like, what's going to happen? In general, I just worried about everything. But um, now as a, an adult, it was very much like how how are they going to get a job? How are they going to get money? (laughs) So I I totally agree with that. I also thought it was kind of funny and fun how the, how the police react to the penguin. So funny. It seems like no one knows what a penguin is, which I thought was, I mean, it makes sense really when you think about it, would they have ever seen a penguin before? There's no TV, you know, they're in Minnesota. But at the same time, I, that was like a little bit of suspension of disbelief for me because I really couldn't, I was like, they don't know what a penguin is, really? <laughs> like, But then, of course, different time. Yeah. But I, I thought that was funny, the reactions. I thought it was funny, too. And it was definitely, like, almost a slapsticky moment. It was really funny. You, you could tell the authors, like, oh, we're going to have fun with this section. Um, I pulled out one quote from the police officer who says, Honestly, I don't know what the municipal ordinance about penguins is with or without a leash on the public streets. I'll ask my sergeant. Like, as if that's <laughs> a thing that maybe there would be an ordinance about. But I think it's because we're meant to believe, like, he doesn't really know what a penguin is. And then when Mr. Popper goes to City Hall to, like, try to figure out 
what the deal is with like having penguins in your home. It's, it's this hilarious sort of like whispered down the lane kind of scene where like he goes to all of these different people and like nobody understands what he's asking them. It's just this series of like misunderstandings and bad information. And he finally sort of is like, okay, well, I guess I'll just like do what I want because nobody seems to know if there's a rule. So he just like walks around the town with Captain Cook on a clothesline. And it's, I just, it's so, it's so fun to picture. Um, Again, he's like all dressed up to be out on the town with the penguin. He's so proud. Um, And Captain Cook at this point is just like wreaking havoc on their life. But in like, it's not as bad as it could be. Like he actually picks up a lot of clutter around the house to build his nest. So Mrs. Popper, again, whose personality seems to be cleaning, loves Captain Cook because he's not as dirty as she would have imagined he could be. But he also like eats the family goldfish because he's a penguin. He is now living in the icebox. And so now they're like concerned if there's going to be room for their food. And Mr. Popper has to like have contractors come in and like completely rejigger their fridge. So there's all these things going on with Captain Cook. But generally like they are all falling in love with him as a family. So crisis strikes when Captain Cook seems to not be doing so well. Uh, The book says, but it was soon clear that it was something worse than mopiness that ailed Captain Cook. All day, he would sit with his little white-circled eyes staring out sadly from the refrigerator. His coat had lost its lovely glossy look. His round-like stomach grew flatter every day. They take him to the vet. The vet has nothing positive to say. He basically is like, well, penguins aren't meant to live here, so um, I don't think there's anything we can do. And I think, you know, that's our first real reality check, both as readers and for Mr. Popper, because even though he's doing his best, like, Captain Cook is just not supposed to live here. He's supposed to live in the Arctic with other penguins where it's cold and he can be comfortable. So they're all just kind of realizing like maybe our best isn't good enough. Like we're going to have to figure out something else to make him happier and more comfortable. And then there's a line that says all the poppers had grown terribly fond of the funny solemn little chap and Mr. Popper's heart was frozen with terror. It seemed to him that his life would be very empty if Captain Cook went away. And that made me so sad for Mr. Popper but also for his family because I just I want Mr. Popper to be fulfilled also by his wife and by his children and um, as an adult it makes me want to like ask all these questions kind of about Mr. Popper's background like why he needs to be fulfilled by something outside of his family because it just and again these are things that like I'm sure the Atwaters didn't think that like an 8, 9, or 10 year old would care about in reading this book but as a 29 year old like I want to know why he's so unfulfilled in these other ways. I, I felt the same way. I remember so that passage that little that scene is truly the saddest point. Yeah. That's the point where there are, there's some issues and obstacles that come up later in the book, but that was the point where I, I actually stopped. I was like, Oh no, poor captain cook. And my immediate thought for the penguin was, first of all, he's probably lonely and scared. He's not at home. There's only so much that if you're you're literally in this case, maybe not a fish out of water, but a bird out of water. He's living in an appliance. Like he's not supposed to live here. And yeah, I mean, I would, I think any creature needs that kind of support and needs, needs a companion. I agree. It was really interesting to me that Mr. Popper felt that Captain Cook was his person or, or maybe mm. not his person, his, like, his companion. Yeah, his companion. I mean, he has a family, right? He's the one who is in the position of, of having a family, having a house, having this entire life. And, you know, in the very beginning of the book, it starts out saying, you know, Mr. Popper was happy basically. Right. So that was kind of, yeah. And as an adult, I was like, what is going on here? What's the real issue? So I, I definitely felt that way, but yeah, I'm not sure I would have made that connection as a kid, but as an adult, I was like, yeah, okay, Mr. Popper, you got some deeper things you got to figure out. <laughs> right, and Captain Cook presumably has a family too, and so I wanted Mr. Popper to, like, recognize that and be, I know, I just made you so sad. Um, I just, I didn't make that I know, I know. I'm like, you didn't realize it, Mr. Popper didn't realize it, maybe even I didn't realize it. We're forgetting that, yes, like, he probably has all of these other penguins that he left behind, and so okay. it shouldn't be his responsibility to, like, fulfill Mr. Popper's needs. Yeah. Oh my God. That makes me so sad. Sorry. I, this just took a turn and I didn't mean for it too. (laughs) No, that's, I mean, that is, I think that's important to think about, right? Because poor Captain Cook, he is literally, you know, been taken out of his entire life and he's doing admirably, you know, like really really well. Adjusting quite well. I don't think I would have lasted that many days in an icebox away from everyone. Right. But it also does set the stage for what happens later. Right. And like, he he can't live in this other 
world, it's not his world. Yeah. He doesn't belong there. So this is my, my next like favorite thing. And just the, the logic used here is that, (laughs) so Mr. Popper have, you know, really getting no help from the vet decides that he's going to write a letter to the aquarium because he knows they have penguins there. And he's like, well, maybe they know. So he writes a letter to the curator and the curator of the aquarium writes back to him and is basically like, Oh, interesting. We have a penguin who seems to be exhibiting similar symptoms. I bet that they're both lonely. Let me just send you my penguin, (laughs) which obviously makes for a great story. But like, again, in my adult logic, I'm like, wouldn't you suggest as the expert in animal behavior and animal health, like, hey, maybe you should consider transporting your penguin to the aquarium where we can take good care of him. But no, the curator is like, you know what? Like I've had it. I can't even deal with this sad penguin anymore. How about you just take her? I know. I mean, he has an entire aquarium, Right. right? Like, no, instead, we're going to have an ice rink in the living room, right? Yeah. That makes more sense. <laughs> it's way more logical. So the curator sends uh, Mr. Popper his penguin, whose name is Greta. And as you might imagine, they're suddenly multiplying penguins. Greta and Captain <laughs> Cook have 10 penguin babies. Um, normally, penguins, I guess, don't reproduce this quickly. But Mr. Popper assumes that because of the change in their climate, they're able to lay more eggs. And so now they have 12 penguins in the house. That makes room for all these other antics with kind of like moving them around to figure out where they should live in the house. This is when they decide to leave the windows open so that it's cool enough for them. And then there's snow inside, which of course makes the penguins really happy. And then they decide to move the penguins to the basement. Um, and kind of recreate a similar like wintry scene in the basement. They try to build an ice rink down there. There's like all of these snow banks inside. I loved the image of the penguins like running up and down the basement stairs. And like once they get to the top, then they would like toboggan down because there was snow on the stairs. That was a really fun image. And so in watching the penguins, Mr. Popper realizes that they have like a series of behaviors that they kind of go through all the time. He sees that they kind of run drills, like they kind of do like the same activities over and over. And he thinks that's interesting. Interesting. There are two of the penguin babies that are always fighting with each other. Again, they're like climbing up the steps and then tobogganing down. So they have these tricks. And the poppers are at a point where financially they like really can't juggle it anymore. It's all becoming too expensive. In addition to feeding themselves, they're now feeding 12 penguins who are eating like premium fresh fish that's delivered to their door. Hilariously, again, like this is where as Mrs. Popper, I'm like, hmm, Mr. (laughs) Popper, maybe we should reconsider how we're spending our money. But Mr. Popper has an idea. He says, um, we will keep the penguins. Mama, you have heard of trained seals acting in theaters. If there can be trained dogs and trained seals, why can't there be trained penguins? So he puts together this plan where he's basically going to take the tricks that they already do all day, every day, and build an act around them. And he's going to become a penguin trainer. And he marches them to the local theater and basically like pitches himself as an act to the theater manager. So I love the image of them all marching to the theater. They get on the bus. I have a newer edition. I don't think I have the uh, the original illustrations. The illustrations in the copy that I have are almost more like video game-esque. Um, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, kind of like Pixar-ish. But there's a really funny like full-page illustration of them all walking single file to get on the bus, which I thought was really sweet. And it's not long before the uh, the penguins become like a hot commodity. There's like a talent agent basically um, who cuts them a deal, which I think in 1938 was very generous. He gives them a 10-week contract at $5,000 a week, which even now (laughs) is like kind of a lot of money. And in 1938, I, I mean, I probably could have looked up you know, what that would have sort of equaled in 1938. But that seems like a lot. And this agent, Mr. Greenbaum, says, I don't mind telling you, Mr. Popper, that I think you've got something absolutely unique in those birds. Your act is a sensation. And the way you helped out my friend, the manager here, shows that you're real troopers, the kind we need in the show business. I'd like to predict that your penguins will soon be packing the biggest theaters from Oregon to Maine. So they become like famous penguins. And I I was having a lot of fun kind of picturing the penguins in the age of like Instagram or YouTube because there are a couple of scenes of like anywhere the penguins would go there would be these long lines of people waiting to see them or like wanting to have their pictures taken and I love thinking about like people trying to take selfies or like TikToks with the penguins as they were traveling the country doing their act that that would be so much fun totally I mean I'm thinking about a TikTok right now with the penguins there's so (laughs) many fun things you could do yeah for sure 
I, I also really love that image of kind of this march of the penguins, mm-hmm. right? So the, the penguin obsession started as a kid for me, right? But it didn't stop. So I've seen like every penguin documentary that there is out there. And so I could really visualize this. And I was just thinking of these like cute little penguins waddling down the street. So cute. And the, the act, like it would have been a lot of fun. At the same time when I was reading this, all I could think of is like, oh no, something bad is going to happen because this is not sustainable. Right. You know, the penguins are going to get tired or like something, something's going to happen. But it was also a lot of fun. I would have loved something like that. Like I'm thinking about, um, I used to love going to aquariums Mm -hmm. as a kid. Yeah. And I, you know, you get to see it does, you know, in, in aquariums, you don't really have like the trained acts, but you get to see these animals in their environment or these fish. Um, and it's just so it's like another world, right? So thinking about how you're kind of doing the opposite here, right? He's bringing this other world into our world. That is not going to go well. It never does. Never. So I was just like, I was bracing myself while reading this. Well, I think it also speaks like the kind of act that he's put together, which is a fairly like simple act. I think it speaks to like how our expectations for entertainment have changed because I too was like, oh no, something's going to happen to the penguins. Like they're going to get hurt while they're doing the act. But the act isn't that dangerous because in 1938, like it was enough to just be able to see penguins. Like that was really cool. Um, And now we probably would have these expectations that the penguins would be doing these like crazy things. Um, So it was kind of refreshing to realize that there was a time when just like having access to these really cool animals would have been enough. I mean, yes, they were doing tricks and like Mrs. Popper was playing music to represent different cues for them. But it was nice to think that like a sort of simple like animal demonstration was enough. Again, I come back to like the question that I had about animal rights activists where like, again, like it's very clear that the poppers are like putting these penguins to work for their own financial gain. And I would imagine that that idea is very upsetting to a lot of people. And that is sort of like the impetus behind protests against people like the Tiger King or zoos or aquariums, like people have fundamental issues with a lot of that. And I'm sure those people would not necessarily love what happens in Mr. Popper's penguins, but we see the penguins having a great run. I thought it was really funny um, that there was this kind of like dated reference to SpawnCon, like <laughs> before SpawnCon was a thing, the penguins are sponsored by like a shrimp company. And then all of these other companies are trying to get sponsorships, but Mr. Popper is like, no, like we're not actually using these products. So it wouldn't be ethical for me to accept their money and I was like he's such an influencer before influencers were even a thing (laughs) so yeah their financial problems kind of continue though because interestingly their like travel and living expenses aren't included as part of the contract very (laughs) practical matters to consider in a kid's book so yes they're theoretically making five thousand dollars a week which is a lot of money but like they're paying to do all of this traveling and to stay in fancy hotels so very quickly they're running out of money and then the weather gets warm and we know that that cannot mean good things for the penguins the penguins go on to cause a scene in the wrong theater in new york city they like ruin the whole theater basically and they had gone to the wrong place so the theater manager is really mad and Mr. Popper actually gets arrested because the theater manager is so upset and that's where we actually get to meet Admiral Drake again the guy who gave Captain Cook to Mr. Popper in the first place we get to meet him in in real life he shows up at the jail he had just returned I guess from an expedition and he had docked in New York and he says to Mr. Popper I read about the trouble you were having over the penguins and so here I am I have a long story to tell you I've seen a lot of penguins in my time but never such educated ones as these it certainly shows what patience and training can do so he goes on to a bail Mr. Popper out but b to explain to him that life on the North Pole is very dull because they don't have penguins there. They only have penguins at the South Pole. So the government has tasked him with like reestablishing penguins in the North Pole. And so he's pitching to Mr. Popper that he take Popper's penguins to the North Pole and build like a whole new race of penguins around them because he sees that like these penguins aren't doing so great now that the weather is warm. Um, And he kind of wants to like help him out and also fulfill this task from the government, which I thought was like an interesting government task. But... Now Mr. Popper has a competing offer because the owner of a film company wants to make like a really financially attractive deal with the Poppers to bring the penguins to Hollywood and put them in the movies. So now Mr. Popper has to weigh these two options against one another, basically. Um, What did you think about this moment where he's faced with this choice? I think as an author, my first thing was there was not enough setup. Yeah, it was pretty quick. (laughs) It was pretty quick. I also think it would have been more of a kind of a difficult choice, which I think is 
you know, in the story's own way, it was trying to present it as this more difficult choice that Mr. Popper had to make. Um, I think as a writer, I would have wanted to set up that, you know, maybe financial concerns are more important uh, recently or Mr. Popper does care about money. It's not just Mrs. Popper who's worried. Um, and then I would have felt like this kind of moment was really kind of supercharged. Mm. But, you know, reading it, I was like, I know what he's going to do, right? He's going to um, do the right you know, thing, yeah. He's going to do he, – it's clear to us that Mr. Popper kind of marches to his, oh, the beat of his own drummer. He knows what's important to him. He cares about his family, and so that's why he's even – taking it under consideration. Uh, but at the same time, it's been set up that this family really truly loves these penguins. And at, at the end of the day, like they're, they're realizing that it's unsustainable and that they want to see these penguins happy. Also, of course, you know, just tie it up with a bow. It also means that Mr. Popper gets to go on his adventure and like, and have penguins named after him. Like, you know, there's really, it's not really much of a choice. Yeah. And this all happens within like five pages. I mean, after all of these pages where we're reading about penguin tricks and like penguin antics, the like, the real moment of tension is so quick. And as you said, like, there's not much tension because we know that Mr. Popper is going to do right by the penguins. He says, I do not believe the life in Hollywood would be good for the penguins, which is hilarious. Admiral Drake, I am going to give you the birds. In doing this, I am considering the birds, first of all. I know that they have been comfortable and happy with me. Lately, though, with the excitement and the warm weather, I've been worried about them. The birds have done so much for me that I have to do what is best for them. After all, they belong in a cold climate. And then I can't help being sorry for those men up at the North Pole without any penguins to help them pass the time. So he makes, like, the selfless choice. He decides that Admiral Drake can take them. And when they go to say goodbye to the penguins, Admiral Drake is like, oh, you weren't coming. Like, I thought you were coming with us. And again, in like the space of maybe three paragraphs, Mr. Popper goes from not being on the boat to being on the boat. Mrs. Popper is like, okay, great. See ya. I have to go be with my ladies clubs. And Mr. Popper is like, great. I'll see you in a year or two. I So casual. Yeah. That was the one part of the story where I was going to bring it up. Like this was just, I had a moment here. I was like, I get it. (laughs) it was like written almost a century ago right and um it's a short book but I was like that I do not understand that at all she's like Like, bye I've had it goodbye I've been worried about money this entire time (laughs) clearly you're the only source of income please leave yeah she must have been really annoyed with him I don't know yeah, or it, I was just like, okay, well, that was neatly tied up and made no sense. They were just <laughs> like, we're sick of writing this book. Like, we're, we got to get out of here. <laughs> but I did love that he gets to go and actually do yeah. the expedition. And I mean, that that's like that moment of wish fulfillment, right? As a reader, and who's if you know if you fell in love with Mr. Popper, it's probably because you understood that desire to have adventure. And you know, and we start out the story with with kind of setting the stage saying Mr. Popper always wanted to go on an adventure. The penguins are his mini adventure. And then at the end, hello, wish fulfillment. He gets to go on the adventure. I mean, who doesn't love that? But at the same time, I was like, okay. <laughs> okay. I got to put aside like all reality. Here. Yeah. He got, he got his wish fulfilled and it was really cool. I agree that it was, it, at first I was like, this is all very casual and it's all happening very quickly, but then it made me happy because he got to do what he wanted to do. So on the whole, Swathi, do you feel like this book has held up to the memory that you have of it? Has it let you down in this reading experience? I think it's held up. Okay. I will say, I will say it's very reading. It's very different reading some of these books. I've actually been doing a few rereads of books I loved as a kid. It is different reading it as an adult. There is just a level of deeper concerns that you have mm. about the world, about your life, and you know the current environment in the world like with everything. I think even kids are probably having more of these thoughts, more of these worries. So on one hand, you don't really see that reflected. But the other hand, it is nice to not have to think about it and to just escape. And I think I would def- I would say it held up because more than anything, I breezed through this reread and it was like a f- breath of fresh air. I got to just live in this world that was so different and so, <laughs> so different from reality that I, you know, after a while I just let go and I just said, I'm going to enjoy the story for what it is. Yeah. This is and, wacky, but let's go with yeah. it. And sometimes you need that wacky and you just need a moment to escape. And I think, well, what are stories there for if not to help you escape and to give you a moment to yourself? So 
yeah, I would say it held up. I'm so glad. Well, thank you for choosing this book because I definitely needed a little bit of escapism and I feel the same way. Other than Mr. Popper's Penguins, what have you been reading lately that you would recommend to our listeners? It doesn't have to be YA. It doesn't have to be middle grade. It doesn't have to be a throwback. Anything that you've been reading and loving fits the bill. So I've actually been, like I mentioned, doing a bit of a reread of older books, but I do have some new ones that I'm super excited for. Um, actually tomorrow on June 2nd. So, you know, hopefully it'll be out by the time this is released. There's a YA fantasy that's being released. It's called A Song of Rates and Ruin. And I had the privilege to read it early. It's amazing. It is kind of think Aladdin um, and Jasmine, but they have to kill each other. <laughs> um, and it's set in a, in a North African inspired fantasy world. Um, it's just gorgeous and, and kind of a wild ride of a book. Um, so I've really been enjoying that. I wanted to throw that out there. Some rereads I've been doing, I actually um, have started to go back and read kind of like Howell's Moving Castle by Diana Wynne-Jones, all these kind of older books that really um, set the stage for what I loved about fantastical and whimsical stories. And I've, I've also really been enjoying kind of going back in time and rereading those. So cool. Well, I will include links to your recommendations in the show notes for this episode, along with a link to Mr. Popper's Penguins. And of course, a link to your book, The Tiger at Midnight. Listeners, I hope you'll go check it out. It's been so fun chatting with you. I really appreciate your time. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind the scenes inside scoop, and some good old fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast. <laughs>